gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Hello everybody, it's me, it's Sarah. Welcome to this week's episode of Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. This week... We are talking weekend-long wrestling events, or wrestling weekenders, as we like to call them. Just a little bit of housekeeping just before I introduce my lovely panel that I have picked for today's show. Make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Android podcasting sites. You can usually find our links on suplexretweet.com. It's usually the best place to find whatever podcasting platform that you use. Make sure you're also following us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Suplex Retweet, so it's easy enough to find us. Make sure as well that you have a wee check out to our Facebook community page. Got a lot of chat going on there, and it's it's a great place just to sort of have a wee a wee chat with all the wrestling fans that are going on. And also, don't forget, we have Suplex Retweet Extra, which is bringing a whole bunch of other content coming at random days of the week including the newly revamped Wednesday Night Wars. We have the Raw Report. We have Anyway Back to the Wrestling, Saturday Draft Live, anything you could possibly think of. And hopefully now that New Japan is coming back, great news for everyone else, Grant and Scott will be able to get East meets West back up and running. So I am going to introduce my lovely panel. Now, I've already said that I have not bothered with introductions today, just, just for reasons. But I do want to give a special introduction just to the blossom to my bubbles. It's Stephen Wilson. Oh my god, what is with that power puff getting ready? <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? It's because you're ginger. She's blonde. No, yeah, Blossom's no. ginger. Blossom's ginger. I'll get mixed up with Buttercup. Uh, <laughs> no, bubble, no, Buttercup's brunette. Buttercup's the black haired one. Bubbles then. Bubbles is blonde. Bubbles yeah. is the blonde one. <laughs> Oh, I've done like an Ed Ed and Eddie thing. I really like that show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it was just because it appeared on my on my phone earlier. It just said "Blossom to the Powerpuff Girls," and I went, "I need to say that about Stephen." I would real. I would take any reference that was like cartoony. I would take a cow and chicken reference or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like I could be like the the bomb and the angry chicken or something. I don't know. But hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Ah, uh, well, you might be the chicken from Moana, actually. Ooh. That's a good one for Dave. Wait, <laughs> Everyone... <laughs> Everyone welcome Dave Hockney. He is now the chicken from Moana. Well, luckily I've never watched Moana, so I don't get that reference. Oh my god. Yeah. And hopefully... well, I, will say, I, will, I will say Ed, Ed and Eddie is one of the best cartoons ever made. <laughs> and rounding off my pound now, hopefully like Captain America, he does understand my reference. It is Scott McCloud. <laughs> I did. I understood that reference. Aha! So yes! Ah, uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> hey, I actually managed to whip up some introductions that may not have been good, but I still whipped them up. But yes, I have got Stephen, David and Scott joining me for today's conversations. So we're going to kick off and Stephen, I want to come to you first, since you're the one that, you know, writes about wrestling for a living. No air quotes totally put in there. Um, <laughs> I want, like, the sort of... What do you think are the sort of good things that can come from a, a wrestling weekend? 
Uh, yeah, the air quotes is good for the wrestling rating as I've not done it since we've entered lockdown, really. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely the air quotes on it. Um, no, I think it's I think it's good depending on what content you've got over that weekend. I think if you've got something that can keep the audience's attention throughout the full, you know, two or three days, I think it's good. That's why you get a lot of these type of ones who revolve it around the tournament. You've mm-hmm. got uh, the likes of uh, the best of Los Angeles tournaments and uh, Super Strong Style 16 uh, done in progress. They've got that whole thing. The tournament lasts for the full time, so you kind of have something you know is going to come with it in that time. So if you've got something like that, it's definitely a benefit. But on the other end, it can sometimes make you feel like it's just like a dragged on version of something that can become that can be done on one night. So yeah. I think a lot of it that really does depend on the content that you've got. If you've got the content, you can do it over multiple nights. If if you're just stretching it, then you, that's when you know it could have been done in one. Yeah, Dave, see like what Steven said there um, with like the Battle of Los Angeles and Super Strong Cell 16 consisting over like a tournament. Um, see earlier in the year, last year, we had ICW holding their King of Honors tournament. Do you think that was sort of one of the strong points? Is the fact that they held the tournament over the over the two nights instead of just cramming it all into one night? Uh, yeah, I think um, when we're talking about tournament events, I think over the space of a weekend it actually works fairly well. Because when you think about tournaments such as King of the Ring and stuff, like in the past, uh, some some of those tournaments have been, you know, just sort of squeezed into one episode of Raw, and it just felt really rushed and. You know, people just like, oh my gosh, like this is happening right now and we need to get all this information like in one show. So I think the the concept of like, you know, if if there's a major story to be told at a wrestling event and you can spread it over two nights, it can work. But again, just to go back to what um what Stephen was saying, you can't uh I think the important thing is, you know, you have to make do with the amount of time you've got because if you if you squander it like with you know, pointless undercard, it can drag on a bit. Yeah, Scott, um, see when I went to the the listeners on Facebook and Twitter, that was one thing that came up quite often was the fact that um, if it's done properly, it could be the best thing in the world, but most people don't like it when random matches are thrown together. Is that something that you agree with? Yeah, it can be said. I think it definitely depends like, on the promotion. Because like your bigger promotions like a WWE will have a much wider roster of talent, where with people wanting certain talents to get a showcase at a big weekend of wrestling, as compared to like more of a local independent promotion. So you kind of do see some random things throw together just so some people don't miss out on a spot on the weekend. But I think some of the complaints that you can have from a weekend uh, don't always apply to a week to like a week a tournament. I think a tournament is a good exception to kind of some of these flaws because yes, yeah, some people might say that they I've seen some people in the chat saying that ICW doing three weekenders last year caused them to kind of lose what makes them special. But I think with Honors or any other kind of weekend like tournament, there's usually an exception because a tournament going across both two nights, you can really spread it out you can really tell a story over multiple nights, especially if like, you've got a fan favourite that people want to see get to the finals. You had to watch them over two nights go through various obstacles in order to get there. Yeah. See, um, where we talk about ICW, we'll just touch on that a wee bit because we did have the King of Honors tournament. We had Shugs 
which is usually the weekender. And then we had Fear and Loathing. Um, Stephen, see with Shugs, let's just really, it's Dallas's birthday. It's a good excuse to sort of have an all out blowout, especially because it's one weekend out of the year. Um, see, because this year, if it does go ahead, we're not too sure. Shugs is only going to be one night this year. How do you fare in seeing like the difference uh, of quality as well when it comes to one night um, wrestling shows as opposed to like the full weekend? See, the thing I like about, I've liked about Shugs that they did really well is the main events always kind of you always feel like the main events are big, the actual proper main events. We look at the Shugs from 2018. We had the Lionheart Jackie Polo match, mm-hmm. and then. On the Sunday, we had uh, Stevie Boy versus DCT, both big main event matches, and you kind of felt, you know, hyped up for each of them. But when they, if they don't have that, I mean, with Shugs, that's good. But, I mean, you, you could even say, I mean, with Fear and Loven last year, they had two big matches as well. But it didn't quite feel as it was the same. Maybe because I feel it works with Shugs because Shugs is your one that you go to look forward to you know it's going to be a two nighter it's been two nighters since maybe what like, I think it was the third Shugs or maybe the fourth I can't remember one was the first two nighter but it's always been that that has always been the weekender so mm-hmm. when the men made Fear the Love on the weekender you start to maybe go well, this is kind of your marquee one and when you looked this year at the matches that they had on the Fear and Love weekend you had the likes of best example I can think of Easton Reese versus Scotty Davis Mm-hmm. Could be a big match if you build it up. Scotty Davis is one of the best talents in the UK. Easton Reese is a big guy who ICW clearly like the way they use him. But it just felt like you just felt like it was just randomly chucked in there. And it just came on like maybe I think it was like second last in the card on the Sunday or something like that. And you're just like, this could be good, but I don't really it's no really point. So there's a lot of stuff they had over that weekend that if they had it on the one night, you could have been leaving that show thinking, This is one of the best shows ICW have done this year. But you've then left thinking, right, they've got this good moment, this good moment, that good moment, but nothing fully, like, no, no, nothing fully full on that, if you get me. Yeah, Dave, do you agree with what Stephen's just said there? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I do remember I was at that Fear and Loathing event, surprisingly, because and I've not been to a lot of ICW shows, but the ones I have been to, I have been to, like, weekender shows. In particular, you mentioned Fear and Loathing, and I was also at Shug's House Party last year. And he's right when he says, you know, if you've got two big main event caliber matches, it does work, you know, and because this year, or last year rather, we had uh, Jackie Polo versus Kushida in Jackie Polo's last match. And then obviously the Sunday night was the ICW world title with with, uh, Stevie Boy against Wolfgang. Those kinds of matches, you know, are ideal for a weekend because you probably couldn't fit both of them onto one show given the sheer amount of star power that's involved but at the same time you do get a lot of filler matches that you know that don't get as much build compared to these these big main events um i'm just trying to think the best example of uh see with one of those see with shugs i think i think with shugs uh every match near enough had a build which Mm -hmm. you can get away with not every match on the fear and loathing card had a build yeah, because I remember there was uh, the opening night of the Sunday show. It was Kenny Williams versus Jordan Devlin. Like, I don't remember there being much build for that whatsoever. They had done a small amount of building via Gonzo, but it wasn't mm. it wasn't overwhelmingly like what they have done in the past. Yeah, see, I, I don't really watch 
Gonzo that much or go to or been to a Gonzo taping before. Uh, so you know, for for someone like a, a casual uh, viewer in when it comes to ICW, I probably wouldn't have known about that match. I was only drawn to this match because you know I've seen both these guys in NXT UK before, and I suppose having that kind of exposure with on a mainstream brand where these two guys are going to be in a more sort of local promotion, I think that was the selling point. But if I was um, somebody who just solely watched ICW, I probably wouldn't have appreciated the build to that one. Mm-hmm. Scott, I want to say to you as well, because it was something that Jack um, had actually brought up when I was asking people about their opinions on the Weekenders. And like, say for Jack, he stays all the way in air. It's kind of hard for him to travel, especially if it's like the Saturday, Sunday night. Most of the people, me included, would like to take the Monday off for work. Is mm. that is that something that you can see as like being things that can sort of put you off? I think I can like see where he's coming from in that respect. Uh, wanting to get enjoy like the weekend of wrestling and not have to worry about like whether or not you should be drinking on the Sunday night as we've got working the next day. But like there are a good way there are still you can still build your weekend around like going to this you know, wrestling show and talking about like ICW the uh, the thing with Shugs I think it, it made sense why Shugs suddenly went from one ninety two because I think they marked it as like the party was getting too out of hand for one night so they had to spread it over two and from over or not they spread it like evenly like over two nights like you have matches that'll intrigue you for night one but they don't get through all the big matches on one night they say they're leaving stuff for night two and I think with what well, seemed like Fear and Loathing they announced that was going to be two nights again and now Shugs is moving to one I think if you're going to have one show that is over two nights let it be your, your biggest show and hopefully I'm actually hopeful that it's kind of thick with this because like the whole thing of constantly changing this year we're doing two nights of it now we're back to one now back to two like can I can yeah want some like consistency? Yeah. Can I can, can I ask something quickly? Was the um, the fear and loathing show was at the Hydro Weekenders? No, they were no. one night. Right. They were only one night. This, this last year's fear and loathing was the first two nights. I mean, in terms of the shugs, that probably let's be honest, it probably won't happen this year. Now, uh, you know, we're talking about end of July. It might be too soon, but it's that was only made a one nighter. Purely, I think due to the fact it was clashing with the NXT tapings in Glasgow. So yeah. I think that was really out of their hand. So I could see Shugs going back to a two-nighter next year. I definitely, if it happens this year, I'd be really surprised. So. Yeah. Well, what I want to ask you guys now, because um, we are talking about the pros and cons, so I want you to tell me, say, three pros and three cons for having Wrestling Weekenders. So, Stephen, what would be your pros if oh. you were arguing for it? Oh, it, it, pros is you don't. I mean, this is a particular WWE focused one. You won't have very drawing out shows. Big criticism of WrestleMania is like recently it's been far too long. Uh, obviously, you have more wrestling. You know that could be a good or a bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. you could actually that would maybe fall under a pro and the con <laughs> type idea. <laughs> uh, maybe too much wrestling is too much, and the probably another pro. I would say I can't think of another one. I know a co- definitely a con from a fan's perspective, and this is a fan who is saving for a wedding. Is <laughs> <laughs> it's, expe- it's expensive? Yeah, I mean, it's ex- it's expensive to go to. I mean, you look at you've got 
Scott mentioned about the, the drinking mentality of it that we all enjoy with wrestling shows in the UK, probably in the US as well. I'm not making judgments, but you spend your money on the both tic- both night tickets, you know, you've got your drinking money for the nights. I mean, let's let's be honest, these venues for these weekenders are not cheap. Uh, if there's somebody maybe like Jack or maybe like yourself, Sarah, when you were living in Edinburgh, you've yep. got hotels and that as well. That's oh, a lot hellish. of ex- that's a lot of expenses. And even if you were driving from Edinburgh, your petrol money as well. So yep. it's quite expensive from that one as well. Probably ex- the price maybe is the best thing, especially if it's a drawn out, if it's not a well-built show, if it's just got a lot of stuff chucked in that you can put on one night. I'm trying to think as well. Uh, you, a con could be that one night overshadows another. Uh, mm. You'll maybe have a night that's absolutely guff and another one that's absolutely brilliant because they don't balance it well. Uh, if you get a good balance show on a two-nighter, I mean, the best weekend that I've been to was the Shugs in 2018. It was mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Uh, just because Lionheart beat Jackie Polo. <laughs> so so good uh, but if you have it uneven it's just you know it's gaff yeah Scott what would be some of your pros and cons about having wrestling weekenders uh, well Stephen already mentioned one of my cons which would mean again the price because like a, a, a venue like an SWG3 or maybe the O2 Academy the prices then will vary very much from when you go to your usual like garage show for mm-hmm. ICW or and also the price of like if you want to just buy a two night ticket they'll get you in both nights rather than buying two individual tickets uh, the price of that as well especially like if you're like saving for something or if you're like like on a job that doesn't pay a lot but I think a, a pro definitely is like especially if it's over two nights getting to see like somebody in that particular promotion that's maybe one of your favourites that doesn't get showcased a lot but you know realise that if it's over two nights there's more of a chance that they won't miss out on the show and you'll get to see them as mm-hmm. opposed to one night where they probably wouldn't have made the card. Perfect. And Dave, have you got anything else to add in terms of pros and cons? Because you're actually what we call very, very new to the mm-hmm. Scottish indie wrestling scene. So from like <laughs> a newer person perspective, you can bring like a whole new light onto this. Yeah, I think um, from a pros as pro side of things and as a new fan, I think it's a good way to get a lot of exposure to to the promotion. Because I still consider Shugs Who's Party last year one of my favourite ICW events. Not just because of the how well balanced both nights were, but the fact that I got to see such a wide array of talent that ICW has to offer. And I'm I feel more up to date with, you know, what ICW gets up to and like who's who. Like I can put names to faces finally. So having, having that having that greater exposure to the ta- to the roster and the storylines, that I'd say, definitely say that's a pro a, a pro. Uh, a con definitely like the guys have said, it it can be pricey, in particular for people who are travelling to well, in ICW's case, travelling to Glasgow from out of town. Like one of the friend of the show, Tom Brock, uh, he actually flies over from from Holland for these events <laughs> and stuff. And he, you know, he, he's always claiming like, you know, he's he loves coming over to Scotland for ICW and just meet and you know just hanging out with us. But can you imagine what that's doing to his wallet though? Because you know he's got plane tickets, uh, hotel accommodation, ticket price of tickets, and then everything else in between. So it does it does start to pile up. Um, one other con from sort of my perspective is. You have to give up a lot of time over, over your weekend to uh, to these shows because uh, obviously you've got normally people would tend to go out on a Friday or Saturday night nowadays. Most people tend to save Sunday as you know because it's a work night and stuff. You'd want to have the night in, but then you've remembered 
or you've got a two-night ticket, so you kind of have to go to get your money's worth. I feel that can be a downside as well. Mm-hmm. But for I think the other pro is you do get your money's worth at the same time if you do go, because whilst there may be sort of gaps you may need to fill with undercard, the the amount of you know star power and matches storyline wise that they invest in these shows it is worth the money. Definitely, definitely. Now, after us talking about the sort of pros and cons, um, WrestleMania was one that actually came up. And this year, we'd, we'd say wrestling giants, um, New Japan Pro Wrestling and WWE, both went in the direction of splitting their bigger event. So we had Wrestle Kingdom 14 and WrestleMania into two nights, making it a weekender. So we'll start off with Wrestle Kingdom, see as that kicked off the year. Steven, see with Wrestle Kingdom, it was a good idea to move it to two days, wasn't it? Uh, yes and no, I would say. Uh, yes, from if see if you look at it purely from an angle of the of that gold rush, you know that four man mini. The, uh, the, the double gold rush. Double gold rush, yeah. If you look <laughs> at it from that angle of it, yes, that makes sense. You've got the two guys fighting for one title and the two guys fighting for the other title on the Saturday. And then on, was it Saturday? I can't remember. I was, I Saturday, yeah. It was Saturday and then the Sunday. Yeah, the Saturday and the Sunday. And then on the Sunday, it's just the case of the two guys fight for the titles. That makes sense. However, mm-hmm. what I hate, I, I, I hate, what I hate with you Japan shows, I've, I've, they've got some fantastic matches out of them. You know, Junior Heavyweight Division is absolutely outstanding. One of my favourite matches ever is from a Wrestle Kingdom show. It was that four way match. For the junior heavyweight titles a couple of years ago, it was Osprey, Skrull, Kushida, and Hiromo. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's a great match. But I hate all that guff with random tag and six-man <laughs> matches. I'm sorry. I mean, it's <laughs> terrible. And when you've got two nights off it, oh my god, there's so much skippable stuff. You take you take all that out. You maybe you could still do the double gold rush if you leave out that match between Jay White and Kota Ibushi. You could still run that when you could have the two matches early on in the night. You could run all the stuff in the middle. You get that great match between Hiromo and Osprey. You get one good match for Liger's retirement. You could bring it with anybody. Then you get the main event of uh, Naito and Okada. And you've got an absolutely fantastic Wrestle Kingdom. But because they drew, they drew it over two nights this year, I think it, it was good. But it could have been better if they did it one night this year. Scott, seeing as you are the host along with Graham McRobbie of East Meets West, you'll have a very different opinion when it comes to the so-called random tag team match <laughs> that oh. tend to happen with New Japan. Do you think that was sort of, it helped fill out the night a little bit better or do you actually agree with Stephen and that there were no really any point to them? I agree with Stephen on some aspects of it. And me and Grant discussed this, like we talked about if they'd ever run a double night like West Kingdom again. And I said to Grant that if they weren't doing this double gold dash, it's very unlikely that they would ever consider doing a, a Wrestle Kingdom over two nights because doing it over two nights allowed them to tell the story of the two titles much better. Like, have the two big matches on one night set the stage for the main event of night two. The thing with night one, the three, they had three eight man tags in a row. One of them was Power Lives Retiring, which I got because they were telling story of him fighting these guys that were part of his career on one stage or another and then the next night he was fighting two people who were maybe the future of the junior division which he helped like build up mm-hmm. and the other two were basically amongst like factions and at least one person each was going to be fighting on night two in singles matches 
Yeah, like Goto and Kenta and either side of one because they were going to be fighting on night two. And same for Zack Sabre Jr. and Sonata, they were going to be fighting over the Rev Pro title on night two. And I said to, to Grant that like because they threw these three eight-man tags one after the other on night one, it took me longer to properly get into night one than it did night two because mm-hmm. these three matches felt kind of filler. Uh, because like the fourth match on night one is like the tie title match and and from then on it's big match after big and after that I managed to get properly into it whereas night two I think was more concise with the way they built up the matches and the order of the card that felt more like a Wrestle Kingdom to me and plus it felt more like a three day weekend because they had the New Year's Dash the following night which is now set stage for big storylines going forward in the early part of the year and set up the next week challenges for the new champion so in a way, they did a really good job of it, but like, it wasn't without filler, but you can see why they were doing it, but to a, a not regular New Japan fan, it can be very off-putting, I think. Mm-hmm. Dave, speaking of non-regular New Japan fans, <laughs> um, I don't know, did you have a chance to watch Wrestle Kingdom this year? Uh, no, my attention was more on the on the WrestleMania side of things, you know, being the, the WWE employee that I am. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> With the, I like the idea of the the double gold rush um, being spread over two nights because you know obviously it's uh, two the two defenses and then it goes to the unification match. Uh, I, I like that idea. I think it was actually really well well done. But you know, as Scott mentioned, I think the idea of filler matches, especially when it's the same match type uh, on repeat, it does feel like the event is dragging on a bit. So if the weekenders there with a purpose then yes, it can make sense. I think it's only if people are willing to tolerate everything else, you know, in between. Mm-hmm. A, good, a, a good example is, this is this is maybe just my opinion, right? You look at John Moxley over that weekend, right? Mm-hmm. He has two matches. He has one against Lance Archer, Scott's favourite wrestler. And he's, he's, he has a match <laughs> with... Rude. And he has a match with uh, Juice Robinson, right? The match with Lance Archer is the most un Japan match ever, but it's brilliant because it's just absolute carnage. It's Moxley match at his, at his the best, you know? Mm-hmm. He has the match with Juice Robinson in the next night, which does not look like the world on fire to the same way. It's not a bad match, but it doesn't stand out. So if you're a Moxley fan, you come out of that weekend thinking, right, he's had a mixed weekend, right? But if it had just been having the match with Archer over one night, you'd come out thinking, that's absolutely awesome. So from a two-night perspective, that maybe it's maybe just been chucked in there because... Juice has still got the match the night before, the tag match with Finlay against um, what's the face, the Bullet Club. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm just calling Bullet Club. I can't remember the name. Uh, but, and he could have still had something. That was still his big moment. So, in a way, I think it kind of works and doesn't work in two ways. Thank yeah. you. Sorry, to say, kind of continuing at that point, I mentioned to Grant that like, I really felt like kind of the announced that Juice Robinson, regardless of what happened in the tag title match, he would face the winner of Archer and Moxley for the US title mm-hmm. on night two. And I felt like kind of took away from it a little bit because they've been telling the story of Juice and Finn, uh, Juice and Finn like coming together in World Tag League, winning the tournament and facing GOD who'd been so dominant that they were almost running out of challengers. They had their moment and then they kept telling like, oh, Juice could walk away with two belts, but like you knew for a fact that he was I'm going to win because having walking away with two belts would have devalued whoever won in the main event and night two walking away with two belts. Mm. So they wouldn't have done two double champions on the same night. So you have just having this big moment on one night only to walk into a match with Moxley lose on night two. 
and then the appearance of Suzuki at the end to attack Moxley immediately overshadowed what just happened between Juice and Moxley. Mm-hmm. Well, there's um, there's actually one thing I want to ask because like you've you've sort of basically brought up the point I was wanting to make, not with uh, the tag and the the United States uh, title, but actually with the winner of the G1 Climax. Now, mm-hmm. we know that Kota Ibushi was the one to win the Climax uh, the previous year, which automatically guarantees you a title match at Wrestle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Do you think, like Stephen and Scott, do you think incorporating the fact that Kota Ibushi was challenging for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship that was also part of the Double Gold Dash, did it take anything away from his G- G1 Climax win? I would say I would say yes, but I'd be this, the people who disagree with me would say... I mean, Grant said this to me numerous times. There's this big story of Naito Okada, which mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with because I, I know a bit about the history of New Japan, but not to that same extent. But I, I'm a big, a big fan of Kota Bushi. And you mm-hmm. see him win the G1, and I think, and you think, this is his time, you know. You kind of look at that way of kind of building him up. You just know it's, it's, a, it's a guy's time. I mean, we'll talk about him in a wee minute. Drew McIntyre, WWE, WrestleMania, you just knew it was his time. So mm-hmm. to have him not only lose his G1 match, climax, you know, contract match, but he then goes on the next night and loses to Jay White. Now, a lot of people will say that Jay White's ring name rhymes with how he is in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot... An absolute delight. I've heard, a, I've, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of people say he's the New Japan version of Baron Corbin. You know, if that's not what you, if that's not what you feel, I think he's look, I think he's not bad, but ouch. I, 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 he's, he's not a he's not a New Japan style. I think that's kind of the way the criticism goes. He's just an old fashioned heel. I don't mind him, but so but for him to lose the two nights, you know, it just kind of it kind of ruins it a wee bit. But if they're if they're building it in a certain way, I mean. I mean, they put him in a tag in a tag team with Tanahashi, so that was maybe the way they were going with it. But mm-hmm. nah, I didn't like it. Scott, do you mm-hmm. agree uh, with Stephen there? In a sense, because like I think there was me and Grant talked about the idea of there being a story that they were telling with Ibushi uh, going on to over risking and then going to this tag team and winning the tag titles with Tanahashi. We thought there may have been a bigger story at play because often that is the case with New Japan because Naito won. I think and the formation of a story has been going over years and years. So with like it's a, it's a shame that they never got to fully play out the story because like they had to go away for the because of the pandemic and shows getting cancelled. But yeah, I think it would have made a lot more sense if we had I wanted Ibushi to win the title and then go and to make two against Naito. Because I think it made it made it a lot more sense than just having them go on two. Because he and Naito have been switching the IC belt back and forth earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And they were coming together for both belts and and the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. And the thing with Ibushi is he's he'd finally signed a long term like deal with New Japan after being like a guy who'd always go between promotions without making anything permanent. And so it felt, it felt like it was his time. And then a lot of people felt like it was kind of underwhelmed when he lost. But then you realise it was all tippy off Naito's story. So I think maybe Ibushi's story is still being told. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's something I did want to because I, I was sort of kind of thinking about it, and especially when you mentioned the whole juice getting to face whoever won mm-hmm. between Moxley and Archer the night before. I was like, right, that's it's reminding me about the double gold dash. So we're gonna. I feel like we've left Dave out a little bit, so I'm gonna <laughs> jump. I'm gonna jump back over to America, and Dave WrestleMania over two nights now. I know it was kind of because of the whole global pandemic and 
all that, but do you think it was like a good idea going forward? Honestly, yes. And and I'll explain why. Like, I think the original plan was to obviously have WrestleMania on one night inside the Raymond James Stadium where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play because they had that whole pirate theme going. And I can only imagine what some of those entrances would have been like inside that stadium. But obviously, you know, circumstances out with WWE's control, I think they had to improvise a bit. And I think, I don't know if, I mean, it's hard to tell if WWE actually, you know, listens to UK fan response to say, oh, WrestleMania goes on too long uh, because, you know, like us here in the UK, you know, we have to watch it until the wee hours. Because I remember last year, I think it was on the air till about from about 10 p.m. at night to 5.30 a.m. in the morning. So I did personally breathe a sigh of relief to know that it was going to be spread over two nights because it's much, much more manageable, uh, even with the time difference allowed. But, you know, I'm coming back to the same argument of, you know, right towards, you know, I think the go home week, I think they went into panic mode a bit and tried to fill out the, the cards as much as they can. Because I think both car both nights had about eight or nine matches plus one pre-show match. And I think uh, Ross actually made an excellent point that in some ways it actually takes a lot of pressure off of the fans, you know, and of WWE to try and squeeze everything into one night. Because last year you had the Raw Tag Team titles and the Cruiserweight title, uh, as well as the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. On the pre, on just the pre-show. Now, all of those could easily have been fit on the main card, but in some ways, it actually puts a bit more spotlight on the main card itself for those kinds of matches. So, in a way, it did, it did help, but it just felt weird knowing that you know this was taking place inside the performance center with no audience. Because uh, we've said before in the WrestleMania debating chamber that the audience is a big part of WrestleMania and that atmosphere. So. Yes, I, I get, you know, they had to improvise and it did work fairly well. But, you know, I think we have to accept the fact that it wasn't the same atmosphere because of circumstances that nobody could control. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Scott, just like what they said that Ross Whitten made a big point. Now, we know biggest, uh, he's like one of the biggest advocates when it comes to splitting WrestleMania over more than one day. Because we mm -hmm. know he's, he's just sucky it by now. Um, <laughs> And Gary made a really good point as well, um, saying that WrestleMania is it's already considered a weekender because you've got the Hall of Fame on the Friday, you would have NXT TakeOver on the Saturday, and you would have WrestleMania on the Sunday. Mm -hmm. Do you think, like, see, going forward, that WrestleMania needs to start splitting itself off because it just it, it's become too big in itself? Like, it's just the point of having matches for the sake of having matches? Or do you think... It was it's sort of like a healthy split now. I think I do agree with the idea of splitting over two nights. I've heard multiple people like for the last few years talking about it because, as I said earlier, they've got a much bigger roster than most other promotions, so they always seem to try and cram as many people as they can. One of the, one of the good things about the Battle Royals is that they're cramming as many people in as they can, but I think not having any crowd deciding how weird that was, it was more palatable to watch both nights individually. And even the matches that did seem filler were kind of sandwiched between bigger matches, so they weren't as bad. And when you think about it, talking about NXT, WWE's kind of been doing Wrestling Weekenders since like 2015 SummerSlam, when mm -hmm. they started doing like Big Four weekends with a, a takeover the night before the pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been doing very well, obviously. Usually they say that NXT outshines the main roster. 
sort of like it's shown that we can do multiple nights of wrestling and I think one thing it did help with WrestleMania this year is the uh, Bray Wyatt Cena match because without having to resort to like the Boneyard cinematic thing, AJ and Taker probably could have had a good match because you know it's AJ Styles involved and Taker's always compared them to the under to, to uh, Shawn Michaels. Whereas Cena Wyatt, we've seen a singles match with him at WrestleMania before. But again, to see that Funhouse match, I think added a whole new dimension to WrestleMania, something we hadn't really seen before. Yeah. Steven, see how we ha- we've talked about like the wrestling weekenders and how WrestleMania is like sort of getting bigger and bigger each year. We've talked about it earlier when it comes to like people taking time off work and money issues as well. See if they were to expand it. I mean, if you ended up having say the Hall of Fame on the Thursday, NXT Takeover on the Friday, and then the Saturday Sunday, then you've also got the Raw after Mania. Do you think it's sort of just going to become too big? For its own good or do you think it's just it's going in the right direction uh i think when you look at the way you broke that down the weekend there said i don't think that'd be too much of a big deal for people other than maybe the one night extra tickets because a lot of people who go out for wrestlemania they go out maybe like the tuesday or the wednesday they're there for access anyway so they're yeah. kind of already in about there they kind of budget themselves for a for a week's stay and whatever it is so i think the only difference you'd maybe have is instead of a ticket for two night WrestleMania, you not one night WrestleMania, you have a ticket for two night WrestleMania. Um personally, I'm on the side still of a one night WrestleMania. I I could understand this year, I can understand why they did it this year. They built up so much for this card and essentially it was maybe like I think it was less than a month. Within less than a month, it could have been taken completely away from I mean, at the time, we were all talking about, oh, they can have WrestleMania again in June, such and such, but we now know that you need to, with this pandemic, you need to kind of ease back things back in slowly. So June mm-hmm. was just out, out the window completely, as shown by the fact that WWE is still doing empty arena shows. So I think they had to do it over two nights, because let's be honest, you couldn't have done the same card and have fans convinced to commit to a one-night show, because 16 matches with no crowd in the peak of a pandemic would just it just it just wouldn't happen so this year it was wise to do it over two nights because it allowed some stuff to shine but the issue we've kind of got with Wrestlemania currently which I think they would still have over two nights is there's a lot of matches that you just feel like they chuck in there sometimes for the sake of it there's a lot of ones in there that don't get quite the big Wrestlemania build last year the best example for me Samoa Joe and Rey Mysterio had a really okay build not major kind of the same Baron Corbin cut angle you know cut angles last match granted but it was a poor building hindsight to it so I feel Wrestlemania should go back to what it maybe was about six or seven years ago and cut the matches back down a bit because I'm looking at an example pre-Andre Battle Royal you had Wrestlemania 29 you had eight matches on the main cards you know not as many of the roster were on it but every match had a bit of a build to it even Fandango and Chris Jericho (laughs) so um, you've got that type of idea you've got all these big matches I mean even if you look at Wrestlemania 30 see them they had seven matches or something two of them are battle royals so I think if you maybe had what we have we've got about 16 matches in Wrestlemania or something like that maybe if you even scaled it back to a max of 12 make every match feel big then you don't need the weekend for Wrestlemania you can still have Wrestlemania as your marquee big event you can still have the takeover the night before, you can have the Hall of Fame the next night, but everything feels 
absolutely major. I would rather that than just have random matches chucked in just for the sake of it. Mm. Can I um, can I add to that actually? You know, you're talking about saying you should have takeover, you should keep takeover the night before and keep WrestleMania as as one night. Um, well, I think this year, you know, it was the first time we've seen an NXT Championship defended on WrestleMania's main card, where Rhea Ripley defended against Charlotte Flair. Why not actually integrate NXT Takeover as part of WrestleMania? You know, keep the two night format, but have the first night, you know, have more NXT style matches on it because more often than not the takeover wrestlemania weekend absolutely outshines wrestlemania case in point 2018 uh, takeover new orleans arguably the best takeover nxt's ever done and wrestlemania 34 was you know it just went downhill big time so i would not be opposed to the idea of having more nxt matches on the bigger WrestleMania stage, because at the end of the day, they're all still WWE brands. Everything's treated as equal now, given last year's Survivor Series. Yeah. You know, have Adam Cole defend the NXT title on WrestleMania? Like, how how good would that be? Can I throw a counter to you? Right, you look at Takeover Portland, two mm-hmm. matches that stole that stole the show on that card that what people weren't sure about. Tag Team Championship match, Undisputed Era versus the Broserweights. And you got Dakota Kai versus Tegan Knox, right? See if you chuck them on a night one WrestleMania, middle of the card, follows on from something like, I don't know, Firefly Funhouse, you know? So you've got all this crazy potential. They maybe still do that type of match, you know, because they could and just maybe do it within the arena. And then you kind of throw in Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai, you know? It's not going to get the same reactions it would have got in the TakeOver show. I think having one or two. NXT matches on WrestleMania is a good idea. You can still do that over one night, but integrating the two of them, I feel like NXT the NXT may do well, but there's no really much guarantee. Keep them in their own environment, you know. Mm-hmm. They've got that and NXT does wit better in a smaller like arena. And an yeah, outdoor well, arena, it might not do the same, you know. It's it's, it's got that kind of cult indoor feel, you know. To, whilst I do agree with that, I think it might be wise maybe to have two NXT matches per night if it does a weekender, because that way you're still getting relatively the same number of takeover matches. But, you know, you know, you could fit them mid-card, you could fit them on the undercard, but at the end of the day, they're still getting to perform on that WrestleMania stage. Like, for example, would you rather see Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai in a street fight on the WrestleMania undercard, or would you rather see uh, Baron Corbin versus Elias? I w- yeah, I would rather not see Baron Corbin versus Elias, uh, regardless, you know, mm-hmm. if, so, if he popped it. But you're saying you put two takeover matches on each night, but that's four matches and the takeover card's five matches, so why not just keep it as a takeover? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe this could be a new debating chamber episode right here. Yeah, right. yeah. I was going to say, Scott, have you got something to add before we go for a break? Yeah, I mean, feels like they moved on a while ago, but I was going to make a point earlier about when Stephen made a point about the Rey Mysterio Joe match as an example. I think a big issue with all of the filler matches, not only just as I said earlier, the, the sheer size of WWE's roster, but like on the main roster alone, the sheer amount of championships that you have at the moment is just like it feels like they need to find a way to get all these titles on the show and matches that don't really have any build, but just so the title can be defended. The US title being a good example, but like. When you don't have these titles on the show, people still will be like an upset. Like the Usos won the SmackDown tag titles two weeks before May of 33, 
but the Spanish Tag Division wasn't doing anything at the moment, so they got chucked in there like the Andre Battle Royal on the pre-show, and like it was maybe Mandy Rose v Asuka, I believe, or in some sort of match at May of 35, then they took the title belt off uh, Asuka and gave it to Charlotte just to make the main event winner take all again, so they could get the SmackDown title on the show, so I think, again, I think the fact that we have more title belts than we ever had before is a big thing that factors in when Mina comes around. Okay. Right, before we go for a quick break, I want to ask you guys just a one-word answer. Should WrestleMania be two nights going forward, Dave? Yes. Steven? No. Scott? Yes. Right, if you guys have your opinion on if WrestleMania should continue this new trend of becoming a two-night event, please let us know at Suplex Retweet on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We are more than happy to hear your thoughts. And right now, I think this is a good place to sort of take a wee break, and we'll see you in a minute. Hey, this is Quacker. And this is Sarah. Just a quick message to remind you that you should subscribe to our extra feed on Suplex Retweet Extra. Yeah, come and join us over at Alba Grout, where we will be breaking down all Scottish wrestling and also giving our brave hearts of each month. Yes, for that and much more, make sure you're subscribed to Suplex Retweet Extra. The opening night of WrestleMania brought shocking results, career-changing performances, and arguably the most unique match in WWE history. And we're just getting started. Hello everyone, I'm Mackenzie Mitchell for WWE Now with all of the results from an epic start to the only WrestleMania that's too big for just one night. Here's your part one WrestleMania recap presented by Snickers. Snickers satisfies. Warning, spoilers ahead. The Undertaker promised to bring AJ Styles pain, suffering, and most importantly to ensure the Phenomenal One would rest in peace. The pair also delivered one of the most unique showdowns in WWE history with a groundbreaking boneyard match. With AJ Styles preparing to bury him alive, the dead man would reemerge from his own grave to pay the Phenomenal One for the endless insults leading into the showcase of the Immortals. Styles would plead for forgiveness, but there was only one way this tale could end, with The Undertaker lowering the dirt and looming over his rival's grave in well-earned silence. Braun Strowman met Goldberg in a real-life Clash of the Titans for the Universal title. The larger-than-life showdown started fast and furious as Goldberg hit Strowman with four straight spears. But it wasn't enough to defeat the monster among men, as Strowman countered with four power slams of his own to manhandle the champion and claim the Universal title. With every strike, slam, and in-match sermon, it was made clear how personal this matchup was between Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. The Monday Night Messiah seemed preordained to silence the non-compliant after smashing KO with the ringside bell. But Owens denied himself the victory by technicality and called Rollins back to continue in a no-disqualification match. It appeared to be a foolish decision as Rollins hit Owens with repeated chair shots, but it was KO who turned the tables with a fearless dive from the WrestleMania sign onto his rival. Ultimately, it was Owens who burned it down, claiming the win, even if it meant breaking himself in the process. The SmackDown Tag Team titles were on the line as three of WWE's top athletes were on display in a thrilling triple threat ladder match. John Morrison, Kofi Kingston, and Jimmy Uso constantly reached new heights as each competitor's attack was more sensational than the last. 
In an unbelievable finish, all three competitors met at the top of the ladder. But Morrison's ensuing fall with the titles brought home the championship for the self-proclaimed greatest tag team of the 21st century. Well, say what you want about Sami Zayn before he says it first, but the Intercontinental Champion remained resourceful in defending his title. After Zayn's initial countout plan and pleading failed, Daniel Bryan controlled the match and brutalized the champion in every part of the ring. In the end, it was one well-timed halluva kick from the great liberator that kept the title within the artist collective. With all the bad blood coming in, it was no surprise that Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler came out throwing a fury of punches. The cage fighters spent a large chunk of the match on the offense, but we all know it takes more than just desire to bring down the man. After the Queen of Spades locked in a Karafuda clutch, Lynch dug deep to counter and retain the Raw Women's Championship. King Corbin was expecting a coronation. Instead, Elias delivered him a fight. With his status in doubt after Corbin's smackdown blindside assault, Elias shocked Corbin with his return and then surprised him even more with a quick roll-up for the decisive 1-2-3. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross had their sights set on reclaiming the women's tag team title for quite some time, and at WrestleMania, they made the most of their opportunity. In the end, Bliss and Cross persevered past the high-flying attacks of the Kabuki Warriors and left holding the coveted championships high. Drew Gulak and Cesaro have been at the center of the ongoing rivalry between Intercontinental Champion Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan. And the two put on an impressive technical display to open WrestleMania 36. The Swiss cyborg ultimately conquered Gulak with an eye-opening, no-handed airplane spin to claim the opening victory. Stay tuned to WWE's digital and social channels as part two of WrestleMania 36 returns Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific on the WWE Network with the excitement of a WWE Championship Clash, a Firefly Funhouse match, and more looming for the WWE Universe. Hello folks, I'm Nathan Fisher. And I'm Chris Murray. Join us on the Monday Night Rewind as we look back on every head-to-head -head episode of WF Raw and WWE Nitro. Find us on the brand new Suplex Retweet Extra feed available on all good podcasting sites. and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And we're back, everybody. I am joined with Steven, who is my blossom. I have my Captain America. I have Scott. Oh. And I have, you know, Dave. Look at this Ed there. Yeah, you know what? I have Ed, who is Dave. I'm Ed. <laughs> Yes, and we have been chatting about Wrestling Weekender, so we've we've had a wee chat about the the pros and cons of wrestling events, especially when it's like close to home and even far away from home. Um, we've also had a wee chat about the two wrestling giants of the world, New Japan and WWE, making their two big like their two big events of the year into a two nighter. We're going to come a little bit closer to home. We did chat about it earlier. Um, so we're going to come back to, to Glasgow, to ICW, to our nice wee home brand. And it seems now that they are making their, what they would call their marquee show. Like, because it has been said that Fear and Loathing is the biggest show of the year. It is now moving into what seems like a two-day event since moving away from the Hydro. Last year, we had SWG3, we had the two nights. And it seems this year in November, it's going to be a two-nighter at the Barrowlands. 
Stephen. Yes. Is this like I know that you've already stated a small opinion on it, but do you think this is the right thing to do, considering that Fear and Loathing have not been able to sort of grab the same amount of crowds and same amount of attention that they have maybe in the past? Yeah, it's a, I kind of a, I kind of stated it in the first half a wee bit. Uh, I'm not a fan of the move personally. Part of part of me is down to the Shugs thing as well because. As uh, Gary had mentioned on Facebook when you posted this at Sarah, uh, you've got you had three ICW weekenders last year. You know you had that, you had the Horners, and you had Shugs. So it kind of took away from it a wee bit. Uh, Shugs is the one, you know, it is always the weekender. So to then make another one, it kind of it kind of thinks it makes you kind of think like we were going for this formula. Maybe we should try the formula again, but it's a a two-nighter on an independent show is hard if you don't have a set kind of format to it because let's be honest with you independent wrestling over the last year it's not the biggest talent pool in Scotland I mean there is a big tap there's a lot of wrestlers out there but maybe we're not seeing them utilised you know in ICW you've talked about this in the past there of female wrestlers especially mm-hmm. uh, maybe we're not getting the full utilisation of it at this particular time maybe next year it could be different Based on that, I don't think there's a wide spread for a two-nighter unless you kind of build them in that one. Because you're not getting the guarantees of the wrestlers all the time, it just doesn't get the same feel. And yeah, I, I, I like... I, you can maybe gather this from my points in the first half. I like the marquee event as a one-night show. I don't mm-hmm. mind a two-nighter as maybe your second event. Maybe if WWE did a two-nighter for King of the Ring, that'd be pretty cool, you know? But mm-hmm. for a company, if you're if you're advertising something like Fear and Loathing is so much bigger. I mean, there is a lot of promo- I mean, progress. I mean, let's, they did a great example as well. Maybe talk about they've got Super Strong Style 16. It's a big event over a week, back all the weekend. But a lot of people wouldn't class that as the big event. A lot of people would class the bigger event as the one they kind of do later in the year. You mm-hmm. know that they recently did at Wembley. You know, so the Wembley Arena, sorry, not Wembley Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so. I like it as a one-nighter, especially, I, I just think it's got a feel. Maybe the Hydro's still not the best place for it, but a one-night ICW show well built up in the Barrowlands. It's just an excellent, but if you spread it, they might not be able to get the same build to it at the moment, and it might, especially this year now with the pandemic, you know, they've not ran shows since early March. Mm-hmm. So if they try to run, they might not run shows again till maybe like, what, early October? Fear and Loven's, when is it this year? Is it late October, start of November? It's the uh, start of November. Start of November, right. So we probably won't see shows till maybe September, October. So you're going to have to try and build a two-night card with wrestlers who have not wrestled in six months. You know, <laughs> it's a hard one to kind of sell this year. You know, maybe if they have a, if, they, if there's more utilisation of the Scottish talent, then it could work. But at this present time, no. Right. Scott, coming away from the pandemic, we will pretend... That there was no, there was no quarantine. Everything's been all hunky dory. See Please, it... I wish, I wish we did. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm gonna take us all to a happy place. It never happened, right? And the shows have been running week in, week out. So it's all hunky dory. Looking at it as well, especially when it comes to the involvement of imports, Scott. 
would you see Fear and Loathing becoming a two-day event, the better choice? Yeah, because I think, like, the idea of, like, you see somebody at an ICW show, like, regularly, and then they don't get a spot on the show because they say they bring in, like, casual fans by saying, oh, this person who you may have seen in this other, like, bigger company that's got TV is coming in. I think over a two-night show, you can better utilise the imports and still showcase your full-time talent, like... You had like a success party in 2018, you had James Storm going across two nights, you had mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Cobb coming in, you had people like that. And like, even with this year's Fear and Loathing, like, yeah, some of the talents like Angel Hayes or Scotty Davis or Alexander Dean, some of the matches might seem like not as appealing or maybe throw away the matches they're involved in. But we have been talking about wanting to see new talent in ICW. So I think in a case of like showcasing new talent, it was kind of successful and also like you established these new people at the biggest show of the year for people who haven't maybe seen them before so that later on when you do do later fear and loathings and they're on the card maybe they can have something of more meaning because they've like they've suddenly they've now became fan favorites mm-hmm. dave again because you're you're relatively newer to icw i mean mm-hmm. you you did attend one of the hydro shows didn't you no, 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 I nope. wasn't uh, the Hydro shows, no, it was, right. I've been in multiple venues, I've been in O2 ABC, uh, O2 Academy, and the Barrel Lads as well. Yeah, so, coming in from this, like, it would have been different, uh, a different opinion if you had attended a Hydro show, especially like, the, the one when they first went to the Hydro. Mm-hmm. Um, see, because it's now no longer at the Hydro, do you think the sort of mentality is instead of a bigger venue, we just make it a bigger weekend and all just sort of like compensate for it? Yeah, I, I think that's the, the argument they're trying to put forward because, you know, I may not have been at the Hydro shows, but from what I hear, it didn't sell out, like, by quite a bit. The, the first one... The first sold, one did really the well. The first one right, sold the second very one, well. Not so much. first one sold very well. A lot of people would maybe say it's off. Oh, if, if you're being a cynic, I don't personally say it. I just think they were at the peak. A lot of the cynics would maybe say it was Kurt Angle, the Dudleys, and Finn Balor. Right. Mm. Helped sell that number, but 6,000 it sold for the Hydro. That's not even half capacity for the Hydro, if I'm being honest. But yeah, just to sort of go to that argument, I think the fact that, you know, they, they tried to do it again at the Hydro, maybe not as successful this time around. So now they're trying to compensate with the fact that, you know, they're going back to what they're good at you know smaller venues having that more you know as Stephen called it the more uh, smaller audience the ones that are more dedicated to that promotion and you know having that that bet that sort of close field vibe about it because i've been inside the barrowlands as well for i think it was the baromania show and yeah that, that felt like it had a lot of star power as well given that you know even though the main event was uh, demo versus drew when drew was tna champion like, I still remember that six-pack uh, or that six-man scramble match for the Zero D title opening. That's still one of my favorite ICW matches. And having a really, being inside a really famous venue like the Barrowlands, I think that just adds to, to ICW a bit because it is arguably the world's most famous venue. And so I think, you know, appeasing to the sort of smaller crowd, the ones that are more sort of diehard, with you know local talent and as Stephen said you know start music utilizing 
more local talent from other Scottish promotions in particular. And I think you'll appreciate this, Sarah. I think they they should have a chance to showcase some more female talent as well. Because you know, I'm always I, happy to hear that. Yeah, because I concur. I've seen way too many Casey versus Evil Jokey matches than I needed to. Like, no offense, like, because some of the, like, I think that's the most common women's match I've ever seen, aside from maybe Kaylee Ray and Viper. But to, to add on to that as well, ICW, you know, does have a sort of working relationship with NXT UK, because a lot of their guys are currently working with NXT UK at the minute. Because I, I do remember from Fear and Loathing, you had Kenny Williams, Jordan Devlin, Viper, Kaylee Ray, Zaya Brookside, and, you know, plus a few others as well. But, but the, the, I think they need to also compensate with the, the amount of star power they bring in as well with imports from other promotions. In particular, one that I did notice from, I think it was uh, last year's Fear and Loathing, they brought in Sammy Callahan to face mm-hmm. BT Gun. Like that was a, that was a big, name, big name draw for that night. So, so I think it's just about finding the right balance between making the use of you know, who who can you get from a, a local standpoint, but whilst also boosting the show with more established names that will help sell tickets. Now, now see, Dave, you mentioned that point, but you don't. I don't think you need a two-nighter to achieve that. We'll go back to that first Hydro Fear and Loving, and I mentioned obviously there was a, there was a cut angle and the Dudley Boys name, but there was one particular match as well on that card. It was Lewis Garvin, who at that time was a local. He still as a local mm-hmm. talent, right? A guy who was just kind of working his way up against a man you will know very well, David, and uh, yep. and Ricochet. Yeah, I, I so, was going to say that was that was when he faced Ricochet. Yeah, and, is that so, when Ricochet still had long hair? No, he was. It was no. Well, he had, he had he had hair, but um, right. it, it wasn't shaved. But if you look at it, that show and I think personally, people made this. The other two Hydro shows, even though the crowds were smaller, and especially the third one the smaller crowd did make the difference in terms of the actual atmosphere in the arena but if you watch the matches and you look at the cards they are very very well balanced cards mm-hmm. the last one is the last one especially other than maybe towards the end just before the main event that is a very well balanced card the way they built it up throughout the year as well i mean granted with the echo kenny williams match and the coffee brothers matches they suffered a wee bit from the fact that they built them for shugs and they couldn't do them at Shugs because of the NXT UK commitments. Mm. So that suffered on that one. But the fact, but if they'd kind of take that aside, there were every match on the card, near enough, had some sort of build to it. There was some sort of layer to it. Maybe other than uh, James Storm and Gre- uh, Grado didn't really have the best builds, but that was, it was the, that's the one exception. So you don't need a two match card to do that. It's all about the build, it's all about what they use. I mean, we talk about local talent. We're in a digital age. I mean, we've saw the last three months during this time. I'm going to say the word again, Sarah, and during this pandemic, <laughs> everything's done digitally. We've recorded podcasts for three months over from in, instead of in face to face like we normally do. Digital is so much big now. Everything can be done like that. We've seen how it can be done. I mean, God, Emmerdale's getting filmed with two meter distancing. Uh, <laughs> so. Anything I I just go, you just said you just uh, watch Emmerdale, don't you? Uh, I, I, I seen it on Lorraine Keller this morning. Yes, I do admit I've watched Lorraine Keller this morning. <laughs> Back to oh, the wrestling, go, guys. Please don't, don't do a Ryan. Don't do a Ryan and a Ryan. Don't do a Ryan and a Ryan. But, okay. um, 
you could build stuff up you could build you guys up without them being at shows you can build stuff up over social media over youtube and that type of stuff so you can get to a point that they come to the if they're big enough they can do well over these wee shows they've got gonzo shows now in icw as well there's plenty of opportunities to build guys without chucking them on a two-night fear and loathing make them look big throughout the year and then have this as the payoff and again you don't need loads of matches you can do the maximum with a minimum amount of matches Right, Scott, I want to quickly ask you, because Stephen's just made a good point there, but I'm going to hop away from Fear Loan a bit to Shugs, okay? Now, this year we saw a big rise in Leighton Buzzard over that weekend period. It was having a great match with Joe Hendry on the first night of Shugs, over into the second night where he ended up having an incredible match with James Storm. Do you think when it comes to that sort of thing and building people up over that one weekend to then give them a further push down the line is a is a smart idea or are you just I think uh, I think the thing with it is you don't need necessarily need two nights to build someone up because like I think with the hit one over Henry alone and then the promo from Henry afterwards was like a way to build him up there. We already knew Leighton was a future star. I think having the two nights have him come out if Ace Team Storm just furthered that and also kind of tied up a wee loose end from like Shugs the previous year because I remember kind of you know every now and then I'd forget like remember when James Storm beat up Leighton Buzzard and then nothing happened after it because <laughs> it was one of those wee loose ends that they managed to tie up whether or not they did it intentionally or if they just suddenly remembered why we got these two together why don't we wrap this up so yeah. I think it's if you a- do it right enough you don't need to, uh, two, two nights but if you have a way that you can do our multiple nights and make them seem like even bigger stars than they would have been without multiple nights then mm-hmm. by all means yeah i think it all comes down to like one thing that we keep talking about is the fact that icw did run three weekend shows last year with the honors with shugs and then with fear and loathing if they cut it down and either had one or two just to sort of highlight because we all know that shugs it's a weekend or it's dallas's birthday you're never going to have that over one night is <laughs> you're going to have no excuse He's always going to have it over two nights because we all know that you know they like it. They love an excuse for a party, especially <laughs> when it comes to Dallas's birthday. Mm. We talked about like the imports as well. Like again, balancing like your imports, like having if you got two main stars having one on night one, one night two, kind of draws in the casual fancy. Like I think that's what they tried to do with uh, with Noam Dar last year because they announced them on being both nights, whereas people like Sammy Callum were just on one. I think the idea of bringing in a recognisable name but having them like over multiple nights is again is another way of bringing in your your more casual viewers and or people who may have not been to ICW oil but recognise Noam Dar. Yeah, definitely. We're going to move on to existing events now. When we talk about wrestling weekenders and weekend long wrestling events, it is usually the independent scene that has got them going on. So. We've had the example of like the Super Strong Style 16 taking place over a three-night period, usually a bank holiday weekend. You've got the Battle of Los Angeles that happens again over three nights. And another one that we've not actually mentioned as of just now, it's the Dream Tag Team Invitational uh, that was going on with uh, Rev Pro. Not Rev Pro, yes, it is Rev Pro. Oh, Fight Club Pro. Fight, Fight Club Pro. There was a pro in there, yes. So, <laughs> Stephen, you are really, really ha- like high on when it comes to the Super Strong Style 16. So, what is it that really draws you to that weekend tournament? Even just watching it, I know you've not travelled to go and see it live before. 
Yeah, I mean, it's something. It was something that I was hoping that me and Grant could talk about on Indie Sausage Roll. You know, that show that we've done one off, and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> I, that, could... that, I hate that dang. I hate that dang pandemic. Uh, we all do. We'll call it world illness then. <laughs> but the thing about it is, I like the idea. What Super Strong Style 16 do really well, and I think what a lot of the other ones you kind of mentioned there said do really well. Uh, is you've got a nice blend of guys that you know, you know, you've got guys that you've seen throughout that promotion. I mean, you look at Plumbing Super Strong Style 16 last year, they had guys that were local guys like Chris Ridgeway, you had Paul Robinson, and you had the likes of the two guys in the final, David Starr, Jordan Devlin. You also have guys, you know, who are a lot more reputable in the business, the likes of Kyle O'Reilly, who came over last year. You had the likes of a Cassius Ono's done it the previous years as well mm-hmm. and then you've also got this nice blend of guys that you've never maybe seen before as big a wrestling fan as you are you may never have seen them before I mean, me, me and Grant on, that, on Indy Social Road we talked about the 16 karat gold tournament over in Germany yep. which was probably the last European, big European indie event before you know we went to lockdown and we, when we were talking about that we talked about there was loads of names we'd be seen before the likes of Karen Noir we talked about Leo Rush who was meant to be in it but there was all these unknowns that we kind of We'd only seen bits and bobs of him, but mm-hmm. from various insights into him, we thought, right, I'm quite looking forward to see what he can bring. One of the guys who I predicted as a dark horse, just from uh, what Tom Brock actually told me, was Jörn Simmons, a Dutch wrestler, ended up making the semi finals. So, progress did that really well with the Super Strong Style 16 as well. You've got the likes, they had guys coming in here who'd never really seen. Darby Allen was in last year's. Yep. Now, at that point, Darby Allen was still in Evolve. Uh, you maybe seen bits and bobs of him through of all, but you've never really seen him too much. Now look at where he is. He'd, he signed for AEW about two months after that. He's now one of their biggest stars, you know. So it helps you get those introductions to a lot of you names you've never seen. And it's why I quite like those. It's why I like the three night tournament format. Because you've got these matches, these type of ones, you can. 16, they're usually got 16 guys in it. Or women, you know, you never know. Uh, it can be spread. You get the tournament matches on the first night, and a couple of, the next nights in, you kind of see more tournament matches. You maybe get the other guys who went out or get chucked into some stuff. The second night can usually be main evented by a title match. You know, we had we've had that in the past as well. We had uh, Walter fight, had a match defend his title on last, last year's Super Strong Style 16, and then the next night's all about the tournament. So you can do the tournament and still focus on your championships as well so it doesn't get too overshadowed which is why I think if you're going to do a weekender especially more than two nights unless you've got something big you need to do a tournament in there mm-hmm. Scott um, how familiar are you with the Battle of Los Angeles? Uh, I do always try and like, look up the result I'm, I usually can only really find the highlights of it but even from the highlights you can see how insane the weekend always is and you look at a lot of the winners as well like you see how quickly a lot of them do seem to get signed up where by major promotions like the last few winners of Bandito and Jeff Cobb mm-hmm. then got signed up by Ring of Honor you've got like of Ricochet who quickly went to WWE you got uh, members of Undisputed Era El Generico now Sami Zayn uh, Marty Scurll not long before he became associated with Elite and his popularity took off he won it in 2016 mm-hmm. and I do like how they map out over the three days like the first round kind of goes over the first two days and the main event night one sometimes like a tag match between people who are going to be fighting on night two where you had Walter and Timothy Thatcher versus Shingo Takagi and Ilya Dragunov main event night one in 2018 
and then some teams need to we may have had a better tag title match and then the rest of the tournament is all amongst uh, night three and what's unique with uh, the tournament is the way it works out the final is always a triple threat elimination match which is unique to many other tournaments and also like it's very usually unpredictable because like the combinations you can sometimes get in that final triple threat absolutely yeah Dave see I know that you're not going to be familiar with like the Battle of Los Angeles and Super Strong Style 16. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put you in hot water. No. And um, but see, like the development, because the um, Battle of Los Angeles was actually originally a two night. Mm-hmm. Well, it was actually a one night with eight participants, and then it moved to two nights with sixteen, and now it's it's now reverted to a twenty-four man format over mm-hmm. three nights. So see when it comes to popularity and match quality you can see the progression over the years i mean this has went from 2006 all the way through until mm-hmm. now yeah it's um i think it just goes to show you know if if there's popularity and there's uh and you know there it, it, it's a format that works you know they can expand on it a bit i think keeping it to one night probably was the smart thing to do maybe just and with eight competitors as well, you could fit an eight-person tournament uh, in just one night. Just look at, you know, 2015 King of the Ring, for example. Like, that was all spread across one night. But I do remember as well, like, WrestleMania 4, you know, that was a 14-match show. And it also featured a tournament. Like, Randy Savage competed four times that night. So, and that that's just one of those cases where I think, you know, the matches can be sort of really quick, really short, because you have to fit so many in. But, you know, with... You know, a, a tournament spread over that increases match quality. It gives the the participants more time, you know, to to showcase what they've got, and in turn, that's uh, whoever goes to see it. You know, that's them getting value for money. You know, they're getting at least maybe ten minutes or so per match, rather than just you know less than five in some cases. So I, I do like the idea of you know weekenders primarily used for tournaments. You know, you know the tournament is one aspect of it. Whereas, you know, you can obviously add title matches to fill the undercard. Like, even with the, the square go, like, last year in particular, because I wasn't at this year's square go, they, they had the square go match itself, and the rest of the card was title matches. But that, that kind of show format in itself worked quite well. If it was spread over a weekend, I don't think it would have worked as well, because then you'd have a lot of gaps to fill. So, I think when you've got something as big and convoluted as a tournament, something that you could easily spread over two nights, that's the that's the sort of uh, difference between a weekender working and a weekender not working. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sarah, Sarah, the thing that, that a tournament can do well as well is it, it's a great way that you can really develop a character over the, 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 the two nights is, or the three nights as well. You, men- you mentioned earlier on about Leighton Buzzard. He had mm-hmm. the two nights, he had the two matches over two nights. But easily could have became the star in one night that he was over two nights. Yep. You look at the Progress Super Strong Style 16 last year and you look at the man who would win that tournament in David Starr. Now, David Starr was a popular wrestler in Progress before that tournament. But it was over that weekend as he won matches that he started to kind of build up a bit of momentum. And it was over that weekend he did a, a few media interviews over that weekend. He started talking about He's, this is where his weedy indie stuff started building into it. He started mentioning that type of stuff as well. He actually mentioned that if he was to win the tournament on the Monday, he would call Walter out right after the match. And mm-hmm. then he won the match with David Starr. He then pretty much said that 
Walter's too scared for me and he's left the building. Obviously, that instantly will uh, instantly create over that weekend. He's created something. He's done the mental and said, "Oh, your champion is too scared to go," and he's went away, and it makes him look great as well. He's also done the he does the We the Indie promo after that one as well, where he pretty much addresses all this independent stuff, and David Starr instantly becomes the biggest thing in the independent scene, and he's got that over that weekend through his matches, through what he's done. Everything he's done over that weekend has helped to build him into that position as well. So, if they do everything well, if they kind of they can pretty much make a star. I mean, no pun intended. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, granted, the uh, David Star and Progress have went in different directions since then. But when you think of independent wrestling now, who's the name that comes to mind? Mm-hmm. And it is him. You know, he's had, he, he ended up having a fantastic second half of last year. So, I did an interview with us. Not long afterwards as well, which you can hear on our back catalogue. <laughs> hey, back catalogue plug. Any <laughs> excuse to plug a show, plug your own interview. No, but you get you get my point though. You get my point. It just came yes. my head You get my point, mate. Okay, so well, like, yeah, of course. So yeah, like I like the idea of like mentioning David Star because I remember I was going to talk about sixteen Karen in a bit, but like I remember one year they worked the whole like the thing with David Star not being able to beat Walter is such a good story that's went over across multiple promotions. And I remember a few years back in sixteen Karen. David Starr got into the tournament and he got the cho- choice to choose who he wanted to face in round one and he chose Walter. So you've got these two favourites, one of them has never been able to beat the other, going out in the first round. And then you had the whole controversy of Starr was choked out but he said his foot was under the warm-up so that continued the story and he is, he is such a good person to win a tournament like Super Strong Tale 16 because it's not just about guys who are involved in progress as well as a few indie, uh, import guys. Super Toronto 16, much like Battle of Los Angeles, is basically a celebration of here are the best people working around the world in the Indies right now, and having the guy who's basically champion independent wrestling win it, I think it just makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So Scott, you wanted to talk about, because I was actually going to open it up to you guys, because like, that's just a few that I'd mentioned, so you want to mention the 16 carat, mm-hmm. how about it? Yeah, because like, I think we talked about how good wrestling is in the UK, but I think across Europe there are a lot of in Germany especially, like with WXW, there's a lot of great wrestlers coming out there and like how diverse it is because they're bringing people from all around the world. They, I think it's over three days, 16-man single elimination. I believe at one point across the weekend, they, they also have this tournament called Ambition, which they hold in their, their training school called uh, it's this kind of a shoot-style tournament. Mm-hmm. And they did this really good story with Timothy Thatcher over a few years where he seemed like his style was so suited to that tournament, they could never just seem to win it until I think we were at last year he finally won it it was always a big goal for him and like you've seen like the winners of this tournament in the past likes of uh, Alistair Black, Ilya Dragunov and how they balance it like other tournaments with title matches on certain nights and some matches in uh, may have ended by the tournament I believe this is one night of 16 carat, night 3 is where Ilya Dragunov had went away for a while they made a big return and a triple threat for the world title and won it because it was Bad Bones and Walter it was Walter who said was given the choice to choose a stipulation. He goes, I choose a three-way. And out comes Dragonoff to you watch it back, like one of the biggest pops you'll hear think, anywhere in the world for Dragonoff coming back. Uh, this year's 16 carat, you had similar things as well. You had the tournament, which uh Karen Noir won, but at the same time going into night two, the big story was David Starr's pursuit of the championship. And pretty much, like, if he didn't win the championship, he was gone. And then he lost the title. And I don't, most of you will have seen 
or heard about the the shoot inter- the shoot promo he does afterwards, mm-hmm. where he pretty much addresses everything. So the kind of it had two elements to it as well. So it's very the guys at WXW in Germany they do a fantastic job and they probably go a wee bit under the radar from this side of it, from over here maybe maybe in America sometimes. But as Scott mentioned, some like with the best of Los Angeles, see some of the names who have won that tournament. You talk about Alistair Black, you know, Ilya Dragunov, Marcel Bartel, you know, one half of the NXT uh, Tag Team Champions, you know, so there's plenty of big names who have came out of that tournament as well, and it's a very, very hard-hitting tournament, I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. So, we've had a wee chat about events closer to home, we've had a wee chat about, we went all the way to Germany to chat about like a 3D wrestling <laughs> event. Now, I want to bring it back to your guys' opinion. Dave, mm-hmm. what would be, like, see, what would you think the events that could actually benefit from splitting to more than one day? Or do you have an opinion on any events that could cut down? Mm. See, one actually came into, into my mind when uh, I was hearing a show from last year and I think since we had we did have some pod representation at this show last year I think you know it could be considered to at least consider it to be a weekender but it doesn't mean it has to be SummerSlam because they're always emphasizing about how SummerSlam is the biggest party of the summer like in the same way you know that Shug's Whose Party is you know it's Mark Dallas's birthday he's throwing in a big a big weekender party you know, that, that's the key word, party. And I think, you know, if you're going to have an event where you're promoting an, probably the second biggest show of the year after WrestleMania in WWE's case, where you do get just as many uh, events going on, such as fan access, you've got a takeover show the night before. And I'm pretty sure in some, I'm pretty sure this year, because of the pandemic, they couldn't do the Hall of Fame ceremony this year. So there was discussion that they could move it to, to SummerSlam weekend and that's the key word weekend so i wouldn't be too against the idea of SummerSlam also being a weekender given how much investment they put into it like where they host it and you know with gary and lucy going to access last year as well they, they were actually at the show themselves they went to see takeover they went to the main show they got to meet you know a bunch of the superstars i think you know you know, it's probably going to be a bit more expensive in some cases, you know, compared to, say, if you've got one night where you're going to Survivor Series or whatever. Again, which is another argument uh, that could be made, but I'll, I'll stick with SummerSlam in this case. Um, but yeah, I think the, the the fact that they're having to move so many things around because of the pandemic, I wouldn't be surprised if they made SummerSlam a weekender as well. See, yeah, you reminded me that Gary and Lucy met and people at Access, I'm I'm very, very aware that they met Christian and Gary mm-hmm. still rubs it in my face and I'm not happy about it. Uh, they also met Christian. R-Truth just to annoy Quack. Uh, they also met R-Truth just to annoy Quacko. <laughs> at last, you're on your own. <laughs> so that to get that in there. <laughs> I love that feature. <laughs> hey, anything to do with Christian, you know I'm happy for it. I'm still like campaigning for a Christian show, but... Stephen, see the point that Dave's just made there about calling them a weekender. Now, we've already had this discussion about the ha- the fact that you have like usually the fan access and takeover, and the like the sort of SummerSlam WrestleMania being like contained into the one weekend. See, just like for the experience, do you agree that maybe SummerSlam should 
increase or do you think just for like the experience it's it's got right now it should just stay as the one the one day i definitely get where dave's coming from it's the whole idea that with the classes the biggest party of the summer you know it if you made if they made it a weekend you would think oh that that makes sense just on that building of it it's not the wwe event i would say I would personally go with the other one that Dave briefly mentioned, purely mm. because of the theme they go with it with Survivor Series. Yeah, you've got you've got Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. Could you imagine if they did that, spread that over a full two-night show? Imagine some of the matches you could get in that one, as opposed to just chucking these random big ten-man matches, ten-women matches, ten twenty-person tag matches. <laughs> no, war you games. Have, you could t- you, you you could have war games. <laughs> <laughs> You could have something like, you know, you could have Undisputed Era versus the Usos, you know, you could have mm-hmm. you could have Imperium versus the Viking Raiders, you know, stuff, stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know. It works well because you can do so many more things over that weekend. So I feel like, I, again, the SummerSlam aspect, you know, purely pull, pulls into that whole similarity of WrestleMania. It's all the things going around it, uh, especially this year. If it does go ahead, there's a good chance, actually, likelihood that this year's will go ahead in some capacity with a crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on what America's doing, it might not be as big a crowd, but we'll see. But the Hall of Fame adds into that as well. But I think you can still, with all the access stuff going around SummerSlam, you can still get away with that being the one night. But I think if you made Survivor Series 2, it would add to it so much more as well. The other events, Sarah, I would actually say they're kind of doing it over two nights this year, mm-hmm. but not kind of, not in the same way because it's two separate weeks. If AEW made Fight Fight Fest, Fest, yep. a prop, if they made that a proper weekend, Instead of just doing it as part of a of a convention, like they kind of did last year, yeah. uh, and made it their own thing, could you imagine the fans who would go to an AEW weekender? See, that's something I'm I'm probably quite convinced might happen in the future. I think just because they're still quite new, but at the same time, you don't feel like you need a big weekender because they run their shows on the Saturday night, and you're like, ah. It's fine, it's the weekend, I don't have to, you know, stay up for hours on end. It's like half four, sleeping on the Sunday. It's all good. I was going to kind of suggest that, like, someone were talking about shows they could do with a, a weekend, like, weekender. I think EW eventually, I think, will end up having one. And, like, I was going to use the same one that they using using with Fighter Fest, but I think, like, they're still establishing their, like, four like, main pay-per-views. Like, it's too early to tell, like, what show is can we really count it as AEW's WrestleMania? Like, mm-hmm. if you had like double or nothing, like, especially with the like the idea of, like with double being in the title having that over two days, especially since like when they were allowed to have fans, they'd usually run shows like Starcast over like these weekends. Yeah. Like, there was their mania access. You have the convention. You have the two nights of wrestling. Because I remember going into double nothing. I thought like there were multiple matches that could have been the main event. Like you had the overall title match. You had the stadium stampede. You had the way they built up the importance of the TNT title, I think that could have been the main event if they really wanted it to be. So, like the idea of like not having a set like devalue a match and having like multiple matches that are worthy of being a main event. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, any other events? Uh, you guys, I'll just quickly open it up before we close up for this week. Uh, any events that you think you would like to see more more content for or less content for? Mm, they could. I mentioned it briefly earlier on. See if they re-brought back the King of the Ring mm-hmm. or the Queen of the Ring or something. Some sort of version of the King of the Ring tournament. Let's make Queen of the Ring. Yeah. They could, they we could, could do, we did it. They could do something like that. Heck, they could probably do a week. They could maybe stretch out a weekender if they did an evolution type event again. 
an all women type of show because please you mentioned you look at the see if you look at the talent that they didn't use on that first evolution mm-hmm. you know they could they could do something with it you know but uh i would say i would say king of the ring because i'm biased on these tournament weekenders <laughs> now you know what i agree i think we've talked quite a lot about the positives of having a tournament over weekenders i would like to see uh maybe one night or you could have two tournaments you know you crown your king and queen of the ring over the course of a weekend but sort of integrate the tournaments together so it keeps the content fresh and any gaps any gaps left over you know you can you know you can fit title matches in there like you said you know you have like with the square goal you know you've got the square goal match itself and the rest of the card is title matches i think that's a i would pay money to see that even as you know i'd pay i'd pay for a weekend ticket I like that. I, 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 I like that integrated men and women tournaments. You know, mm-hmm. and the, oh, no, 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 I don't mean like men and women compete in the same tournament. It would just I, I, know, like, I, I, I don't. How dare you? Have, I want an intergender tournament now. <laughs> there has been uh, talks of Charlotte Parks Flair. The um, there has been talks of Charlotte Flair integrating with the men's division now. Mm-hmm. I want to see Io Shirai batter Fandango. <laughs> oh, can you right, great we can fantasy book to our heart's content you know that we love to do that we might do that on a show further down the road who knows we've got a whole six months worth of stuff that at the moment there's not many shows so we're trying to figure out what to talk about that could maybe be something just Stephen can make a show about Yoshirai Barrett and Fandango over <laughs> the course of a weekend oh could you imagine it'd be absolutely immense you know <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 do like, I do like I do like Fandango. I don't know why I said Fandango. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd, rather see, I'd rather see her beat up Baron Corbin. Yeah, I don't know. I still don't know. Why did I say Fandango? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's flamboyant and amazing and the complete opposite of Io Shirai right now. So. Yeah, it's true enough. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's a good time to sort of close the discussion for this week of course we can continue the discussion on our facebook community page on twitter instagram wherever you want to chat we are more than willing to like to chat back with you so for this week i want to say a big thank you to my panel blossom jesus what i, 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 I can we do ed ed, ed, ed and eddie because dave can be double d because he's wearing a hat all the time awesome <laughs> but that's I mean, fine I mean, how about <laughs> that's fine well I will say thank you to my Ed Ed and Eddie thank <laughs> 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 oh that's going to be the best ending we've ever done uh, I ha- it's been a great show and next week we are going to be talking about the career of the Ultimate Warrior and coming up as well we are going to rebook a pay-per-view I am not too sure which pay-per-view the guys have chosen yet so keep an eye out for that it's going to be a surprise oh it's a surprise we like surprises not, 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 to, the, not to the people doing the show well, I would no. hope not <laughs> no, I would hope should... not just there they can improvise <laughs> so yeah I'll say a big thank you to Ed, Ed and Eddie and make sure you are following us on our social media platforms make sure you're subscribed on our podcasting platforms and I hope you're having a good morning good afternoon good evening depending on what time you're listening to us I will see you soon bye now Ed, Eddie Ladies and gentlemen, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet now proudly presents Suplex Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions! 
Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now!